Hello, hello, and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn how to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Laurie, and this show isn't just about movement and nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your mental and physical health and well-being. It's also about stress management, mindset, shedding those limiting beliefs, and working through some of that childhood trauma while you're at it. Today, I'm joined by Carrie Spanzi. Carrie knows what it's like to feel unworthy and knocked down by life. She's been a single teen mother, lost two loved ones to suicide, experienced two divorces and battled stage four colon cancer. She's also hustled her ass off, doing everything for everyone, hoping to feel worthy of her dreams. These experiences taught her that there is no right way to do life. There's only your way. Now she's a resilience coach helping people-pleasing perfectionists design a life they love without giving a shit about what anyone else thinks. She's unapologetically real and holds nothing back in this episode. We talk about building resilience, strengthening your mind, how to stop shooting on yourself, and how to enjoy life on the way to your dreams. If you felt like the odds are stacked against you and you have no idea how to get, get out and get your dream job, body, business, and life, you need to tune into this conversation. Hey, Goalgetters, just chiming in really quickly to say that if you like this podcast or have found any sort of value while listening, I would love it if you could help me out and give this a quick rating or review wherever you listen to the Holistic Fitness Podcast. Five-star reviews help this podcast get in front of other listeners who could find the actionable tips and insights useful. If you want to help get the message of balanced fitness out to the world and help others get their goals without burning out, please take five seconds to give this podcast a five-star review. Keep shining. How are you going this evening, Carrie? Yeah, it's, it's going really well. We had a beautiful snowstorm in Utah yesterday, but woke up to gorgeous blue sunny skies. So I mean, kind of the best of both worlds. Can't ask for a whole lot more than that. Absolutely. If you're a snowboarder, it's a good day in Utah because you got to get all of that fresh power with, with those sunny skies to be able to ride the mountain all day long. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's been a record year in snow this year. It's uh, it's kind of a winter that I remember from being in a kid where like, yeah, every other week we're getting snow. So it's if you like snowboarding and skiing, maybe I shouldn't say this. Don't come to Utah. Go to Colorado. No, but <laughs> the Utah mountains are really spectacular right now. <laughs> oh, I love that. You sound like where I'm from. I'm from um, the Gold Coast in, in Australia. And it's one of those places that people have learned about, you know, since when I was younger, compared, growing up compared to now. And it's like, don't come here, please, but come here. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, yeah, our, the secret's out, which is great, but not great. So yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I am super excited to have you on the podcast, Carrie. I think especially because of a lot of the work you do around resiliency and about having that, you know, self worth and worthiness, like even, you know, your manifesto that you can download is called Zero Fucks Given. And that really like stood out to me because I feel like as women, we give a lot of fucks. We give all the fucks. And I know that like all of my guests have some sort of story. Can you give me the context that I need to know as to why you do the work you do now? Yeah. So yeah, the zero, I hundred percent agree that we particularly as women, women give way too many fucks. We give, we get, we just like, we care so much. We want to be liked. We want to be nice. And that's just ingrained from us from the very beginning. Oh, nice girls do this and good wives do that. And, and nice moms do this and you're too much and you're too loud and you're too bossy, but men and boys behaving the exact same way are assertive and you know, all of this kind of driven and all of these other things. And and that's just a bunch of bullshit. So yeah, I I 100% agree with that. And I think where this has come from for me and how I kind of got to this point where I am all about like given zero fucks about what anybody else thinks, because it is my life. I, I, I am the only one that knows what's best for me. I certainly can look to elders and coaches and communities. I mean, I don't need to reinvent the wheel, but I can take what I need and leave what I don't and use what I know in my heart to be what's best. But for, like we mentioned at the start, I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. So for your guests who are like, hmm, I've heard of Salt Lake before. It's, yes, it is the home of the Mormons, the LDS church. 
And like most organized religions around the world, women are subservient. They are, you know, the helpmeet to the man. Their role is to be the wife and the mother, to, to lift and support their husbands. I mean, you know, go back to the 50s and it was like, the woman should be in their makeup and the dress and home and don't tell your husband about he's had a hard day. Have a cocktail for him so he can rest. And you're just like, <laughs> fuck that. Yeah, I've had a hard day too, you know? So it kind of started there with it being in that, in that society and that community and that upbringing of sort of having it be taught to me of what my role is and having that even from a young age being like, mm-hmm, I don't know, that doesn't feel quite, is that true? I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me because my dad, my father doesn't treat me that way. But if you're teaching me that God is like my father in heaven, why would he treat me like, like just kind of, it didn't add up. Right. Mm. And then in high school, in my senior year, my high school boyfriend and I get pregnant and I find myself at 17 pregnant, having to quit all the varsity teams, having to tell all the colleges that were scouting me that I couldn't, I had to drop out. I had not drop out of school, but I had to drop off of the team that, you know, I wasn't going to be playing sports and, and all of this. And just the stigma around being one, just a young teenage mom, full stop, Mm. no matter where you are, there is a, there is a ton of shame around that, that I'm a slut, that I'm going to be under the poverty line forever you know, that my life's just going to be horrible. And, and listen, statistically, some of that's true. And that like statistically, young moms do have a harder time getting above the poverty line. There does tend to be a lot of alcohol and drug addiction and that type of thing. So, but I, I when that happened, I just was like, no, I refuse to let that happen to me. I had mm-hmm. bigger dreams for my life. This is happening uh, this this happened, but I am going to figure out a way to bring my dreams to life. I will not be a statistic. And I think part of that's just a little bit of me being stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> just being like, don't tell me what to do. I, you know, I'm going to do it my way. But, um, but I think that was the start of this journey of just um, really being like, I don't know if that's true. I'm going to test it. I think there's something that's happening right now. And I'm, I'm old, I'm a grandma of two, so maybe I have this screwed up, but the kids are saying like, fuck around and find out. <laughs> and I don't know if there's like a negative connotation, but when I hear it, I, feel, I hear, I take that to be like, yeah, I don't know, fuck around with it and see what happens. Like, try it. If you have an idea or you feel like of something that's been ingrained in you by your family or your society just like isn't sitting right with you and you want to try something different or or go a slightly different direction, try it and see what happens. Because again, it's your, it's your life. And we only get this one, at least that we remember. So Mm. go for it. For sure. I agree with so many of those sentiments, but wow, I can't imagine what it would be like as a 17 year old in Utah being almost slut shamed and, you know, you're throwing your whole life away. You were going to be in the varsity team. You were going to have like, I don't know if there was scholarships involved and all of that sort of stuff you're throwing away to bring a life into the world. Before we get into the journey of like where you are now, I'm really curious about, you know, the dichotomy of like being a woman versus maybe what your boyfriend at the time was experiencing. Like, did your boyfriend have as much shame or was he kind of being squandered against like his ideal dream, dream life as well? Oh my gosh, Lori, that's such a big question. Nobody's asked me that before. That's interesting because what's fascinating is that my, my family, my parents did, were so supportive Mm. and so embracing. And like, you can figure this out. We will help you. It's okay. Like we, we, you know, you can do this. And actually truth be told, um, I, I, like the minute I missed my period, I was like, Oh fuck, I'm pregnant. God damn it. Shit. You know? (laughs) And I said to my boyfriend, like, I'm pregnant. How do you know? Well, I've missed my period. So I know 
I'm two weeks late and I know it's a boy. And he was like, you can't know that. I said, I'm just telling you it is. And it turned out to be, but we skipped school and we went to Planned Parenthood to get a pregnancy test. Wow. (laughs) And when they said, yes, you are pregnant, I went out to the parking lot and I lost my mind. I was screaming and yelling and this can't be happening. And I can't believe this. And what am I going to do? And my life is over. And just like freaked Mm -hmm. the fuck out. And my boyfriend like grabbed me and, you know, just was like, Hey, I love you. We love each other. We're going to figure this out. It's going to be okay. And I was terrified to tell my family because of this whole Mormon thing and all of that. Well, his family wasn't in the Mormon church and he actually had grown up in a family that was pretty abusive, had a lot of alcohol and drug addiction. So I think on his side of it, it was, and he's no longer with us. So I can't even ask this question if I'm accurate about this, but my impression is that they were just like, well, of course, because you were always going to be a fuck up. And this family is always a fuck up. And we, we deserve this kind of thing because our family can never catch a break. And this type of like downward spiral, we deserve this kind of thing, which is also something we mentioned, you mentioned that I coach around is just like, shitty shit happens in life and it has nothing to do with who you are as a person. You know, we make choices, they have consequences, but it doesn't mean that I'm a shitty person. Right. And I, and that I think was his experience of just like, well, yeah, I mean, of course you were going to fuck up and do this and have this and make life hard. And, and I don't, I don't think he had really aspirations for college in that. I mean, he barely scraped by high school. Mm. You know? What an interesting kind of parallel there of two different humans. And I'm sure, you know, as we get deeper into this conversation, you and I are going to dive into like both of those yeah. kind of avenues. But on one avenue, there's a like, being a woman, being shamed, being within the church, and more so like being about probably maybe not what your parents thought, you, mm-hmm. you did care about that, but the community, the Mormon community, and then the boyfriend at the time of like, well, you deserve a shit life and and this poverty like or whatever is going to come to you. And, and to be honest, I probably more resonate with with the boyfriend because mm. I come from, come from, you know, single parent, low income, right. not that my family would ever say I deserve that, but the poverty mindset comes with creating yeah. those circumstances for yourself. Totally. Mm-hmm. whether people are saying that or not. So we can dive into that shortly. But first, I'm tell me more about your journey of where you are then to where you are now. You mentioned like, fuck around and find out. Love that. But what <laughs> what did you do in your journey to get to where you are now and get into such a mentally healthy place? Yeah, I mean, how much time do we have? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of fucked around and I found out like I, I, I was just like, I didn't, cause I didn't know, you know, I was 17. Yeah. My parents were super supportive, but it was like, um, okay, this isn't going to be my life. So we ended up getting married, my high school boyfriend and I, and by the time my son was three, we were divorced because it was abusive. And, and my parents are still together. They're about to celebrate their 48th wedding anniversary and they still hold hands and like kiss in the grocery store like they're teenagers. It's really cute. It's really great. And it puts a lot of pressure on us as kids to like, we can see what's possible. And if we don't find it, then that's a whole nother can of worms, right? But like here, so here I am in this, I'm young, I'm 20 years old. I'm in this marriage. I, it's abusive, it, mentally and emotionally abusive. He never struck, he never hit me or anything, but there was all the other stuff. And, and I remember just thinking after a particularly horrible fight with my son there, just thinking this is, if I stay, I'm painting the picture for my son of what love and marriage looks like. And my son is going to grow up thinking that this behavior is normal and it's not. And I know it's not, because I've lived a life without that. My, my husband at the time didn't know this was normal. This was how relationships and marriage are. You just bicker and fight and you hate each other, but you stay together for kids or whatever. I don't know. And I just was like, that's not going to be me. So I left and I had that safety net as my parents. But then it was like, I moved around to different jobs. I 
worked my butt off to put myself through college. It took me 10 years to get my four-year bachelor's degree because I was paying for it myself. So one class here, no classes there, two classes here. Mm. Um, I, I drank a lot to try to drown my sorrows. And then I worked out all the time. And then my dad just came and said, you know, if you don't start eating and stop this drinking, I'm going to literally sit on you and force feed you. This is not okay. I'm not going to watch this. Right. So I kind of snapped out of that, but it was just like, I didn't know. And fortunately, I think I was lucky in that I did have a supportive family and I did have people around me in my workplace and stuff that were encouraging me, like you can do it. You know, I, I, I'm a firm believer of this idea that we are uh, the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. So if the five people you spend the most time with that are in your life with the most are negative and the sky is falling and pessimistic and, um, you know, trying to work the system and just like, why, why does everything bad always happen to me? Then you can't help but sort of adopt that mindset and behavior. But if you're around people who are optimistic and you can do it and let's try again and you are worthy and I love you and like, let's go and driven and experimental and those types of things, then that rubs off. And I think I was lucky to be surrounded by people like that. But yeah, I worked and did the best I could raising my son and looked back at the way that I was raised in the Mormon church and some of the things that my parents did and listened to any parents listening. Nobody knows what they're doing. Like there's no golden way to do parenting and every child gets, you know, comes kind of pre-wired. So you have to just figure it out. I knew some things that my parents had done that I didn't like. So I was like, well, let's try it differently and see what happens. Mm. And I, yeah, I, that's, I, I just experimented and hoped for the best and tried to be as honest and open with my son and with my parents as possible. Like, mm-hmm. dude, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if this is the right way, but this is what feels right for me right now. And this is why it feels right for me. And so this is why it wasn't just, it was never just no, because I said so. Um, right. So it felt really kind of collaborative with my son and also with my parents. So that's awesome. Yeah. I love that you had like a great journey of this collaboration, this experimentation, and also a lot of grit as well. It's it's no joke to put yourself through university or college by yourself and have it take 10 years and commit to it for 10 years while also battling your demons, you know, coming from an abusive relationship, you know, an emotionally abusive relationship, working through whatever seeds were planted there, working through the generational seeds, and then moving through life with a child and starting to drink to escape. Like, that's not an easy journey that you've been on. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And, um, you know, some of the things I think that I did to help me exercise and moving my body has always been a part of it. Um, like I kind of mentioned, not always in the most healthy way. I'm kind of one of those people when I get like stressed or overwhelmed or worried about something, it happens less and less now. Um, just because of all the work I've done since, but in, in my younger years, it, I'm not an eater. I don't stress eat or like kind of panic eat. I stop eating. I forget. I just like lose my appetite totally. But I also get really stir crazy. So then I'm like, I have to move. I have to get out of here. I, I'm not one that will like sit on the sofa with a bowl of ice cream and just like watch Netflix. I go out, I go mental with that. I will forget to eat and, and go on a, you know, seven hour hike mm-hmm. and then be at the top and be like, oh my God, I might pass out. Oh, well, maybe, you know, you need some food. Like that's how I used to be. And, um, and I think, in some ways, that's it was a little bit helpful, and and certainly moving my body and exercising, and particularly getting doing that out in nature, is one of my go to things that I do now because it helps. I think nature one reminds me that there's so much more life and other things happening than just what's going on with me. I think when we get ourselves in a pickle, mm. which we do often as humans, it we get this tunnel vision of like that's all that's happening. 
And it's not the case. When I was going through uh, stage four colon cancer in 2017, after every chemo treatment, I would go to the desert and I would just sit in the sand and look at the ancient rocks and feel the, you know, the sand in my hands and all of that. And the, just the, the vastness and the, the ancientness, <laughs> the age of the desert. And just be like, oh, you know what? I'm just like me and my life and this is just this thing. And not that that's not insignificant, but like, look at all of this and it's going to be okay and breathe and just send all of that negative energy into the earth, like use it to recharge. And that's, that's where I go to now is to just like Mm. disconnect for a minute, get out in nature. That's, you know, turn the technology off and that's where. I start to be able to see things from a different perspective, come on, talk myself off the ledge a little bit, be like, okay, sister, this is a sticky situation. This is not ideal. This is not your preference. What are all the thousand and one ways that this could go? You know? Mm. And I'd love to break that down a little bit, that self-talk that you've spoken about. You know, you kind of almost talk your way out of it. You realize your space in the world. Then you mention that this is not your preference. And then you also look at what you can control and all yeah. the different things that you can control. Is that some sort of framework? Like how do you like how did you get to that point of being able to get yourself out of that tunnel vision? Yeah. So I think that has been, you know, that's been a process over several many years and lots of different experiences um, to just look back and be like, okay, this, this has happened. Right. So to just paint the picture, I'll maybe to illustrate this, I'll tell a story. So um, I got married for a second time and I was with that man, husband number two for about 10 years and around 2015, we got divorced. And we got divorced due to infidelity on my part. That was one reason. That was sort of the drop that spilled the bucket. But of course, with infidelity and things like that, that's a long process to get there. And there were a lot of little tiny cracks and a lot of little tiny things that we had been doing for years leading up to that moment to where, like, to be honest, I thought that what I was doing okay was okay, allowed in the context of, of what husband number two and I had been doing until like a certain moment it crossed the line and it wasn't, right? And that caused a tremendous amount of pain to everyone involved. Me, mm. him, my family, all kinds of pain. We get divorced in 2015, in December, and in January of 2017, I end up in the emergency room And after a five-hour surgery, which was supposed to just be a one-hour surgery, I wake up with staples from my navel to my pubic bone in a colostomy bag. And two, like a week, within a week later, they come and tell me the pathology is back and it's stage four colon cancer. And I'm not even 41. That's crazy. And initially I was like, oh my God, this is, you're being punished for what you did. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know, this was the thought process that I initially went to like, oh, you deserve this. Oh, this is, uh, okay. This is, this is what you get for being unfaithful. Mm. And, and it took me talking to friends. It took me talking with a coach. It took a lot of journaling to be like, no, I'm a good person. And I made a mistake. Yes, we should have ended that marriage. And I if I could go back and do it differently, I would have done it. The Somehow we sometimes think that things like infidelity um, are the easy way out and they're not, they're just as hard. It's just as hard to just be like, this isn't working and it's time for me to go. But those com- those are hard conversations too to have, but it was just going back and saying like, no, I have apologized. I've cleaned up my side of the street. I've gone back and I've apologized to him. I've told him that he didn't deserve it. I've apologized to my family. I've been as honest as I can about what happened and why it happened and acknowledged the impact that those behaviors had on the people in my life and acknowledged the impact that it had on me. And I've recognized like, oh, I may, oh, you know what? By making that choice, by fucking around, I found out how painful that is to everyone else. And I will make it, I will never make that choice again. Mm. Right. 
And so it was a lot of unpacking that. And then it was like, okay, so I've worked through now. I don't deserve this. It still is happening. I still, I still have cancer. I still am fighting for my life. Okay, so then now what? Well, I can choose to be sad and angry and this is unfair and worried for every doctor's appointment and dread and just like, oh my God, chemo treatments again. Eh, I, I could be all of that. Mm. And chemo was still happening every two weeks. Doctor's appointments and CT scans were still happening. But if I was in that space, it just made it all the more awful. Mm. But if I could look and be like, okay, this is happening. And what else is also happening? It's a beautiful, sunny day. My garden is in bloom and I get to sit out there and pick flowers. And the same hummingbird comes and says hello to me every single day. And when I go to my chemo treatments, there's a different friend or family member that comes and sits with me. And I get like four hours of one-on-one time with this person that, I mean, that kind of like... Too bad that it takes something like cancer in order for people and myself and my friends to carve that amount of time out. But I got cancer and they are carving it out. So like, awesome. Yeah. And it just made the whole, like, I wouldn't go so far as to say I looked forward to chemo treatments, but I was like, instead of focusing on that the chemo was going to be happening, I was focusing on like, oh yeah, Lori and I, she's coming. I know she's <laughs> going to bring these snacks and we're going to watch Sex in the City and she's going to bring the Mad Libs and we're just going to laugh our faces off and the time's going to fly by. I'm so glad you were able to get to that point. And if I was your friend during that time, I would be watching Sex of the City and bringing some mad snacks, Carrie. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, I would like I you it. be Carrie <laughs> as well. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I love it. <laughs> I am so sorry that you went through that. And it's so understandable that you went through that phase of negative thinking. And I think anyone who's spiritual, like, feels like everything's interconnected and, and sometimes to a toxic state where it's like, this has happened to me because it's karma and I did something bad. But also I know just from talking to you that you were able to sit in the sand and you were able to allow the negative energy to go into the ground and think positively. And I look at you right now, you've got a full head of gorgeous curly hair <laughs> for anyone who's who's listening. So how did you get from where you were at 2017 to now? Like, do you still have cancer? Where are you at in your life? Like, how are you helping people? Tell me about where you are now. Yeah. So, um, I am officially in remission. So yeah. Yay. I'm so excited. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, yeah, I had my final checkups in, um, in November or December of 2022 and the doctor said, okay, you're all clear. We'll see you in five years. And I was like, <gasps> oh my God, that's amazing. So, um, so yeah, that just feels really good. And I, throughout the whole cancer journey, there were several moments, like there was, there was one moment when I had to have a surgery where the doctor said, we don't know if you will survive. So we recommend you getting your affairs in order. So me and my son, who was 23 at the time, like planned my funeral and did the wow. will and did like all the things. and. Um, my meditation practice and my yoga practice and the fact that I like to move my body really sustained me throughout that time. Like I made a point to move my body every day. Some days that was walking to the end of my block and back. Cause that's all I had in me. The chemo made me incredibly sensitive to the cold. And of course I got diagnosed in January and I'm in Utah where there's snow. So uh, like it would paralyze me. So sometimes it was just that short thing. Other times I could like do a Pilates class because I could lay on my back and be on the reformer and just grabbing onto these little bits and pieces of normalcy, whatever that is, but like life before I got sick were really, really huge. And it helped me um, like feel like I had a little bit of control when so much of a cancer journey is out of your control. Yeah. Uh, that was really grounding and helpful. And because of my meditation practice, I actually had this really interesting experience. I had a lot of crazy spiritual things happen during this, that journey. But one was in a meditation, I got this overwhelming 
feeling that in like a previous life, a previous existence, like in the whatever happens before or after we come here, I don't know what that is, but whatever that is, I asked the mystery to learn certain lessons. And they like forgiveness and compassion and generosity and kindness and resilience and grit. And those are all things that everything I've been through in my life have taught me. And I feel like cancer sort of was like the the catalyst, the solidifying thing to kind of bring it all together. But I asked to learn some of those things. And those are all concepts I can't, it's like me trying to tell you a strawberry to the point where you can taste it. You can't, like you have to just eat one. Yeah. And I think the universe was like, okay, well, this is the strawberry. And I was like, oh, 18 months in like eternity. Okay, I'll do that. But then we come here and we forget. And so there was a part, I just got this overwhelming feeling that like this was a choice that I had made at some point that I don't remember and don't understand now. And so, okay, if, if this is a choice then, and I wanted to learn these lessons, what are you going to do with it afterwards? Mm. And so when I, when I got sort of the green light from my doctors in Utah, that now we are in monitor mode. So now it's twice a year, CT scans and blood work and every other year, a colonoscopy. And we're doing that for five years, right? I was like, okay, so can I do all of that in the Netherlands? And can I move to the Netherlands to be with my new man? The, you know, cause like that's, and they, they said, yeah. So I sold everything I owned and I moved, I made my son, you know, like got the green light for my son. And he was like, go mom, go do your life. Like, go get it. So proud of you go. And I did. And I said, okay, that's it. I'm not going back into corporate. I am starting my coaching business and I am going to use everything that I've learned to help other people turn the shitty shit that happens in their lives into their superpowers. Because I wholeheartedly believe that the things we go to in our life, sometimes due to consequences of our actions and choices, and sometimes not because life happens, Mm. they really do teach you the skills and the lessons that you can learn, that you can use to make your dreams come true. And I a thousand percent believe it. And that is what I am doing with all the shitty shit that I've been through. Wow. And you've been through some shitty shit, you know, from getting (laughs) pregnant at 17, working through everything. Like I had a single mother. She had me at 21. So a little bit older, but yeah, I like I thought it was hard for her just being four years older. Like I can't imagine, you know, not you know, still being in high school and then going through all of that then and all of that shame and then going through, you know, drinking quite a bit and that college and then getting cancer and then cheating on your husband and then feeling all the shame around that, even though it does take two to tango, which a lot of people don't understand. I was actually having this argument. Um, I was really drunk. We were coming back from a Clemson game and it was 2 a.m. And yeah. I was just talking stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think we should cheat, but there's a reason why people get to cheating. And everyone was like, no, Laura, you're speaking shit. And I'm like, no, no, I do think you should break up and then sleep with someone but I can see why some people sleep with someone and then break up and then realize, oh shit, I fucked up. Totally. That I think it's okay, but I can see that people do it. Um, You've been through so much, like honestly. So what, and you talk about shitty shit turning into superpower. You you help people with that. What do you think out of all of your experiences, your shitty shit and your superpower? I think, uh, yeah, all my shitty shit and my superpower is that like, I can, I can, I can get through anything. Yeah. And, and, and it will be okay. Like I can, I'm like looking to the sky now for people listening and knocking on all of the things. Like, I don't, I don't, I think I'm done with all of the lessons that I've asked for. Probably <laughs> not. I mean, I'm touch still wood. young, but like, yeah, touch wood. I don't, I never want cancer again, but like, no matter what life throws at me, I can, I will get through it. Mm. I, I have what it takes to get through it. And I have the attitude. I have the resources. I have the determination and the stamina. I can, I can get through it. I can't always get through it alone. And 
It's not going to be immediate. I still get sad. I still get frustrated. I still get overwhelmed. I still get like, ah, fuck, why is this happening? And then, but I don't stay there and I don't let that energy rule my life. There's no numbing out the, like the, all the emotions. There's just allowing them to sort of move through you and like run their course and then say, okay, now, now what, what's next? So Mm. I think, yeah, perseverance and, and resilience, grit. I mean, that kind of sums up the two of those. That's my superpower for sure. Wow. The way you say it though, makes it sound really easy. You know, you just kind of like go through the emotions, you go from one thing to the other, you become resilient, you become gritty, but it's not easy. No. How do you help people embody this mindset of resilience? Yeah, I think, well, we do, we do a lot of journaling. Mm. We do a lot of meditation. We do a lot of asking questions of like, you know, why do you think you deserve this? What have, what, what's coming up in your life? What are you making? You know, what's the story you're telling yourself about this thing? Where else in your life do you see it showing up? Right? Like it's one of the reasons why I think, and I, I, I think you might agree. One of the reasons why I love yoga and fitness so much is because like when you're, when I'm teaching a yoga class and we're, we're, we're working on the balancing poses or we're working on an arm balance and I'm like, yeah, the arm balances are hard. You got to really trust that core and pull it in. And then you got to put your knees like on your elbows and yeah, you're like scared. You're going to fall and smash your face and nobody wants to lose teeth in a yoga class. So like mm. use the block and put it on your forehead. Like they're all metaphors and like Sports and yoga is a way that I like to encourage my clients to sort of practice doing hard things, like practice standing on one leg and then grabbing your big toe. And the worst that's going to happen is that you're going to fall over, but you start to like press your boundaries and then you're going to get it. And then you're going to be like, holy fuck, look at this. I can do it. And then when you're out in the world and you're like, ooh, this is hard. This feels uncomfortable. But you know what? I've done hard things and things that have felt uncomfortable before. I can do this. And so we, I teach people a lot of that, like working through. I teach people a lot about how to connect with what's happening with you viscerally because, you know, panic, overwhelm, anger, resentment, guilt, they all start with a, a, a sensation in your body. So we really try to like, tell me what's happening. How does that feel? Where are you feeling that? And then what's something else we can do when you start to feel that? Is it get up and leave the space? Is it journal about what's going on? Is it going for a walk? Is it a meditation, a mantra? And it's a different sort of cocktail for everybody. And we try, we kind of fuck around and we find out, right? So we say, okay, you know, Lori, let's try this for the next two weeks. I've got a, I've got a, a client right now who is also dealing with cancer. And I gave her a meditation that I used during my cancer treatment of envisioning where all the cancer is as like yellow Mm. Um, and my breath being green, no blue. And as I breathe in the blue breath, it goes down and it mixes and gathers and collects all of that yellow tumor. And then I exhale green. I love that. And I just imagine that. And so I was like, try that for the next two weeks, try it and just see how you feel journal all of this. And when we meet in two weeks, I'm going to hear how it's going. She's been texting me so far. So good. And we'll just be like, is that helpful? Okay. That is all right. So then now what's coming up now? And we work through it that way, but it's really for anyone listening. I think the first step is to start to pay attention to what's happening physically in your body. When you feel some type of way. Hey, holistic fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high-energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals, and sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goal-getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full-spectrum hemp and their benefits. 
Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. Ned is providing Holistic Fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give Ned a try, listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code Lori Lee. L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. We're so like data-driven and I can't lie, as a leader, I'm very data-driven as well. You want to tell me you want to hire someone new, then tell me what the return on the the investment is. But things like what you just explained, um, the stress management side of things, the more esoteric things like somatics, getting into the body... We don't do because there's just not enough data to quantify why it's important. Whereas there's enough data to say, hey, chemotherapy is going to be good, but not, hey, do this breath work at the same time and maybe explore that sort of stuff. And you mentioned earlier, like when you were growing up, Mormon, the Mormon culture and how you were expected to be as a little girl just wasn't sitting right. So you felt (laughs) like you had to try different things and just the way that like the women were being subservient just wasn't sitting right. Right. How do people like even start to understand what doesn't feel right inside of them? Yeah, I think, um, I think like, for example, going back to that, you know, if you're in, if you're in an organized religion and you're hearing some sort of doctrine or you're hearing some sort of, um, yeah, doctrine, any sort of thing that's being taught and, and you have this like, hmm, or your stomach, you get a little butterfly in your stomach, or the thought of it makes you kind of sweaty, or you have you have a thought that's like, oh, that doesn't sound totally accurate. But then the next thought was, oh, you're questioning? That's the devil trying to steal you away, mm-hmm. right? That's like what was taught in the Mormon culture of like... the. The Mormon culture have what they call the the Holy Ghost. I think a lot of religions, Christian religions have like the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit, right? And you're supposed to like, the Holy Spirit is the way in which like God talks to you through prayer, right? And you're supposed to listen to them. Well, for me, I just call that my intuition. Mm. But the thing is, is that like, if you question the Holy Ghost, then in organized religion, at least in the Mormon, that's, that's taught to you of the devil or Satan trying to tempt you away. But I think the questioning is your intuition, your inner knowing being like, "Mm -mm, hold on for you, my love, my child, this isn't accurate. Mm. So I, I, I really think that our bodies do give us these little signs, you know, when we're on a roller coaster and you're about to go over the edge and you get that like, oh my God, and the butterflies and the sweaty pits, like, you know what that feels like, but we numb ourselves to our sensations. We numb out with alcohol, ice cream, Netflix, social media. Like we can't even sit in a doctor's office without like picking up our phones. Most of us can't even go to the toilet without our phones. Mm. Like there's just no break to just sit and be with what is there and then get curious about what's there. So sometimes with my clients, they're like, I don't even know how to do that. So then we start with like body scan meditations and just Mm. like from the, from the beginning, which is okay. I mean, I had to learn how to do that too. And so um, I, I think if, if anyone listening is curious to get started, then what I might say is just like, no technology, no nothing, go outside somewhere if you can, if it's safe to do so. If not, maybe then just sit by a window, 
right? Or something, but in a room where there's no distractions, close your eyes, just set a timer for three minutes. You can start at three minutes and just like, what do I feel? Mm. What do I feel? What do I feel? And no judging it, no like, oh, you feel angry. Oh, why do you feel angry? I wonder why. Oh, I know why you feel angry because your mother called today. That's why you know, like none of that. (laughs) Just like, okay, come back. What do I feel? And if it helps us to keep repeating that question, what do I feel? What do I, what do I feel? And then when the timer goes off, just like write down what you feel. Angry, sad, confused. I don't know, nothing. I don't know if I felt anything. My big toe was kind of tingly and weird. And my left eyelid was, you know, twitching. Like just write it down and then, and then like move on with your day, right? Mm. And then you can, you know, if you make a kind of a practice of that, I think you start to, we, you know, then you can start to connect like, oh, interesting. My left eye, this is like the third day in a row that my left eye is twitching. And, but then I delivered that project and my eye stopped twitching. Oh, interesting. Maybe this is how I experience overwhelm. I mean, I don't know, right? I'm kind of making like this up just for the example of it, but it, it is there. But we just have to learn how to pay attention to it. Absolutely. And I think what you said is bang on with, you know, we're so used to numbing and the solution really is to get rid of the, the distractions, no matter how uncomfortable it is. And almost do the opposite of, of what, you know, organized religion teaches us and ask questions, ask questions and that stillness, ask questions about your body, get curious and then write it down afterwards and see if you can collect your own data, collect your mm-hmm. own data while studying your own body. Um, but something you did mention was numbing. Why do you think we numb as a society? Yeah, because I think, well, I think it starts as a young age. So I have two grandsons, right? And kids have big, kids experience all the emotions that we do as, as adults. Mm. But, they, but that they, don't, they don't have the words and the language and the tools to express those big emotions. So they throw things and they scream and they yell and they get stubborn and they talk back and they spit their food out and they like, they act out because they don't, They don't have the words. And what happens, I think, from a very young age is we say, instead of saying like, wow, you seem really upset. What's going on? We say, stop screaming right now or you are going to get in so much. You're going to go to bed without dinner. Wow. That's so true. And then, so then like from little kids, we just, we learn that like, oh, I feel this way. I don't, I can't scream and yell and act out about it because I'm going to like, so then these emotions are not okay to experience. And then when they do come up as we become teenagers and, and, and adults, then we're just like, oh shit, I don't know what to do. I don't like to feel this. I don't have any way to release this. So I'm going to just not pay attention and I'm going to, I'm going to eat. I'm going to scroll through social media. I'm going to watch porn. I'm going to drink. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to like anything else, but anything else but because we're just never never taught that like all emotions are okay all emotions are welcome to know what joy is you have to know what anger is to know what love is you have to have your heart broken Mm. To, to to understand happiness you have to have been sad like you it's just not possible it's not possible and so just how do we embrace them and be like, Oh, interesting. Hi, sadness. You're here. Why are you sad? Oh, well, cause I really had this expectation that Lori would show up to my chemo treatment, but then she canceled last minute and I'm sad, mm. but I don't need to make that mean like, Oh God, did I do something? Oh, I, I bet it's because Lori doesn't like me or, Oh shit. Did I, did I say something that upset her? And now she doesn't want to come to chemo. Like, no, she just, it doesn't have to be that. And I can be sad and I can be like, oh, I'm really disappointed that you're not coming. I would have loved to spend that time with you, but hopefully we can, you know, do it next time or something, right? Like mm. it's just learning how to like work with what we got. Absolutely. Isn't it crazy though, that we make other people's actions about us? Totally. Like, cause that other person, you know, I could have been having a bad day. I might have been pulled into the office and, you know, been told that I've been made redundant or I could have had the gnarliest fight with 
a boyfriend or or something like that. Yet the other person on the other line is making it all about themselves. Mm-hmm. But, and and just run through every scenario that they've done, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and sometimes you know, kind of going back to the whole like infidelity conversation. Sometimes it's just like you feel guilty. You did just get pulled in and made redundant, and now you're shattered but your friend has chemo. So like big deal. I'm not fighting for my life. I just lost my job. That's not, that's a, you know, big deal. So I, I feel like an asshole calling her and saying like, Hey, I just lost my job and I feel like shit. So I can't come to your chemo. So I'm just going to say, Oh, I'm so sorry. Something came up. I'm not going to be able to make it because now we're like comparing what's happened in mm-hmm. your life to what's happened in mine. And there's not comparison. What's big for you is big for you. Yeah, for sure. You know, and so, yeah, it's just, it's really an interesting dynamic. And this like zero fucks given is, um, it sounds really gnarly, like, fuck you. I don't care. You know, (laughs) that's not what it's about. It's about like being honest, like giving zero fucks about what anyone else thinks and being honest with yourself and being like, Hey, listen, Lori, I know you got to go to chemo today. I just got pulled in and I'm feeling, I've been made redundant and I just am not going to be my best self coming there. Mm. And I'm really sorry to bail on you. You know, I, I can, can I touch base with you in a couple of days and see how I'm feeling and see how you're feeling and all of this, right? Like, mm. and if we are the friends that we think we are, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's yes, totally. I completely understand. Let's touch base in a couple of days. Go take care of yourself. And and if I say, I can't believe that. That's so selfish of you. I'm dealing with cancer. That's that's information, data going back for you to be like, oh, interesting for both of us. Like, is this a friendship that is fulfilling for both of us? Mm-hmm. And we can we can ask those questions and then make decisions, right? But like we just care so much and give so many of our fucks away about what other people think and what they're going to make it mean. And we can deliver our truth with kindness and compassion to others. And sometimes that reveals to us that our relationship is not in alignment with each other anymore. And that is okay too. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person or I'm a bad person. It just means that we're not like, it's not working and that's okay. And that is okay. For sure. It sounds like though, in that, in that specific scenario that you provided, giving zero fucks is healthy communication. So do you feel as though we have unhealthy communication because we care so much about what other people think and we kind of fuck it up for ourselves along the way? 100%. 100%. Because we've been, we've been taught again, particularly women, that being truthful is not being nice. Mm. And the kind thing to do, being kind is not always being like courteous. Yeah. Right? You know, like, and I can deliver truth with kindness. I don't have to, you know, be like, I don't have to be rude. I don't have to be short. I don't have to be derogatory. I don't have to use curse words. I can just say, yeah, that is not going to work for me. That's not going to be my preference. I really just, I'm not going to be able to show up or no, I don't want to do that. No. And actually just no. I mean, stop explaining your fucking no. Stop. No is no. (laughs) And I don't, you don't have to understand or agree or even like, Get an explanation. Just yeah. like, no, I'm not able to do that. And I don't have to fucking explain why. Yeah. But we just, again, particularly as, as women have not been allowed to use our no, because if we say no, if we don't help, if we don't show up, if we don't give every last drop of ourselves to everyone else, we're not a good woman. We're not a good mother. We're not a good wife. And that's a, that's just a bunch of fucking bullshit is what it is. Yeah. And I'm over it. And <laughs> I am on a mission to teach women to use their voice, to stand up for themselves in a kind and compassionate way for themselves and in a kind and courteous way to other people and not feel guilty about it. 
I love what you're about. And the reason I last, laughed so hard is because I over-explained my nose like crazy. <laughs> and my ex was like, why are you over It'll be like someone at the bloody coffee counter and I'll explain why I don't want banana bread. It's like, oh no, I just ate. And he's like, why are you telling your whole life story to this bloke across the counter? And it's like, you wouldn't get it. You have a penis. Exactly. <laughs> Well, that's exactly it. He doesn't get it because men can say no. Yeah. They can say no. And they don't take it to mean, oh, God, I'm such an asshole. And God, I was so <laughs> rude. And ooh, are they going to like me? Ooh, maybe the waiter's going to spit in my food. Like, they don't even think about that. But we as women do. And it's, yeah, it's crazy town. It's crazy pants. It is crazy town. I have loved speaking to you. I honestly think you have so much wisdom. You've got such an inspiring story. And I'm so impressed that you have, that your superpower really is, you know, that you can handle anything like stage four cancer. Like you can handle stage four cancer, getting pregnant at 17. Like sometimes like I listen to people like you and I'm like, wow, not that I'm comparing trauma at all, but it's inspiring to me. It, it really is inspiring. And um, I love what you do. Before we move to the final question of the podcast, which we do have a final question, uh-huh. is there anything that you really wanted to share today that you don't feel like you fully shared yet? Yeah, I think what I would like to just remind everybody listening is that like, you are worthy of your goals and dreams and you always have been. And no matter what has happened in your life, no matter what you've done, you still are worthy of your goals and dreams and you always have been. You do not have to earn your worthiness. It is given to you. And don't don't forget it. Go get your fucking life. I need to like, put that on record and then just like, that's going to be my alarm. Like what you just (laughs) said there, that 30 seconds, it's like, just go get your fucking life. (laughs) Do it. That's going to be okay. So maybe that's my new, like to get onto my mailing list and receive all of this wisdom. I, you get a free alarm, which is me just like, get up and get your fucking life. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Get my free alarm audio. (laughs) That's right. I love that. We do have a final question. And I mean, What you just said could have been the answer, but you might have something else as the answer. Mm. If you were sitting across the room from your 20-year-old self, what did, what one sentence of advice would you give her? You are going to be okay. And you're going to kick ass and take names. You're going to be okay. You are going to be okay. Oh, I love that. I felt that like to my bones. 20-year-old me did not believe that at all. She. She thought her world was ending for so many reasons. And I would tell her, sister, you're going to be okay. I so love that that's your final question because I am a huge RuPaul's Drag Race fan. And at the end of every season, the final three or four queens are standing up there and RuPaul holds up a picture of them young, their young selves and asks them to say, like, what would you say to young Brian or whatever their names are? And every episode, I just get chills and I think, ooh, what would I say to myself? So like, you've just made my dreams come true. The only thing missing is I'm not in drag. But other than that, it's my dream come true. I'm sorry I didn't give you the memo to dress up. <laughs> oh, well, next time. <laughs> yeah, I've never watched RuPaul, but I love... Um, I saw... I'm really into astrology. This is so off topic, but I think um, they have a similar birth chart to me. Like, I think they're, mm. they're like moon and they're... Um, so I, I saw their birth chart and I'm like, oh, they've got quite a lot of similar things to me. So maybe we're both on the same wavelength in terms of questions and, and oh. getting deep. <laughs> Yeah, their RuPaul is just wonderful in so many ways. So yeah, check it out. <laughs> I love that. I'm sure so many people have listened to you and just want to get to know you better and you know, listen to what you have to say. Where can people listening find you? Yeah, so if anyone listening wants to get their own copy of the Zero Fucks Given Manifesto, they can go to my website, which is carryoncoaching.com backslash manifesto and uh, they can get a fun little a copy of that and um, I made it fun like school pictures so it's, it's a it's a fun thing to get so they can go and grab their own copy of that and then um, I'm most active on Instagram and you can find me on Instagram at Carrie Spranzi. Awesome. It has been so wonderful to have you here and I'm sure that yeah loads of people would love to follow you and hear more about what you're about. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Oh, Lori, thank you so much. It really was super fun. And like we're sisters separated at birth or something, I'm sure of it. So thank you so, so much for this, uh, this time in this chat. Oh, I agree. It's been so good. And for everybody listening in the car, in the home, wherever you are today, eat well, move well, move well, breathe well. And until next time, keep shining.